one. Let's get that guy off the screen. There we go. There it is. We're live. We're live. We're going. There it is. All right, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We got uh, our last show for the week. It's going to be a good one. If you are planning your future with your polycule, you are going to want to tune in. Let's get into this. Practicing polyamory. Real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, all right. Welcome, 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 everybody, to this beautiful Wednesday. Before we jump in and chat with today's awesome guest, I want to quickly remind everybody that we are open for questions. If you have questions about your relationships or if there's a topic that you'd like to hear discussed on the show, please follow the show on all social media platforms, especially Facebook and Instagram. That's where I'm most active. Uh, and slide into the DMs. Ask me a question. You can find us everywhere at Practicing Poly A. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, wherever it is that you download podcast remembering that following and sharing is a free and easy way to support the show and as always i want to remind you if you are listening to this podcast you are a welcome guest to be on the show we are here to share stories and i want to get as many voices to speak here because i know that the more voices the more voices the more stories we hear the more representation we'll have the more others will see us in themselves the more we can strengthen our community so go to practicingpolyamory.com and sign up today all right that's my spiel now the best part of the show to introduce our guest our guest today is a certified financial planner who specializes in working with polycules to help set them up for the future. Now, planning for the future is hard enough for just one person, but when we start adding multiple partners into the mix, there are more people to consider and it quickly gets more and more complicated. Retirement, long-term care, managing potential risks such as disability insurance, all of this stuff becomes more important when you have more people to look out for. And after more than 11 years in the industry, our guest is an expert in helping people navigate these difficult topics and properly prepare, <laughs> properly prepare for any curveball life may throw. I'm excited to chat finances because it's something that I'm personally interested in. So join me in welcoming today's awesome guest out of Nashua, New Hampshire. Welcome to the show, Michael Golosov. <laughs> All right, Mike, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited. Um, cool. I, I just have to do those quick. Uh, Hit us with the with the disclaimers. Right, yeah. So I <laughs> I work in the one of the most regulated industries in the universe. So uh, a couple of disclaimers. One, um, you know, despite uh, being a lawyer on, you know, in my uh, sordid past, I am not, in fact, uh, practicing attorney anymore, and I'm certainly not giving anybody here legal advice. Uh, and as a financial planner, financial advisor, um, I am not giving anybody here any particular advice, recommendations, planning, you know, none of that. Uh, and uh, champion financial strategies. My my plan, my practice is not owned or operated by any of the companies I'm affiliated with. All right. All right. Now that that's out of the way, let's get to the good stuff. So tell me about yourself. Uh, tell me about your journey. Uh, did you always want to be an insurance guy? Uh, no, no. So, um, yeah, so I work in, um, I'm a financial planner. I'm a life insurance agent. And um, I actually grew up wanting to be a lawyer. 
and mm -hmm. I actually did that. And the problem is I graduated 2008 and from law school, not the best time to enter the job market as the uh, mm -hmm. session is. Mm -hmm. So I had a very boring five years of eking out a living and then I changed careers. Uh, Got it. Into insurance and finance and investments uh, and discovered that it had all of the things that I loved um, about how to work with clients and how to develop solutions. I fell mm -hmm. in love and I've been with it ever since. I totally feel that. Uh, I think that that's actually uh, uh, something that I might want to pursue. I've, I've been in the insurance industry myself for about seven years uh, on the PNC side of things. Um, so I think we had that discussion when we talked on the phone a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, financial coaching might be something that, that, that I'll be looking into for myself. But what is it? So, so, I mean, for me, it's like I get the opportunity to help people to help get them set up for the future. Um, and for me, you know, working with poly community, working with marginalized folks, that's like really what I want to do. So what is it uh, for you that brought you to working with poly folks? Uh, I think it's a combination of things. Um, you know, so one is just the intellectual piece of it, the challenge of it. Uh, I'm a huge geek, which very shocking. Uh, I know. What? Um, yeah. So just, you know, delving into that and figuring that stuff out is its own just kind of fun for me and its own joy. And you get to draw diagrams and flow charts and that, you know, um, all sorts of fun with spreadsheets. But, uh, <laughs> there's, you know, there's that piece of it. There's obviously, you know, being able to help um, a community that is not necessarily traditionally uh, reached by right. financial planners. Right. Um, you know, one of the things I do, for example, when I so I, I don't do the legal work. Uh, you know, I won't write a will. Uh, mm -hmm. So I refer it out. Before I refer it out, I have to go find a lawyer that I know is going to be poly friendly, for example. Right. Um, and so, you know, poly people have to deal with that. So, you know, being able to help them with that. And I'm not monogamous myself. And so it's sort of an easy like, hey, guys, you want to want to talk about this stuff? I know where you're coming from. Uh, right. You know, one degree or another, uh, since we're not a monolith, but, you know. Yeah, no, no, for sure. But we we have a shared language. We have, uh, you know, a bunch of things that we we understand. They don't have to sit here and uh, a define everything for you and b worry about you know any sort of judgment. Like, oh, who's this third, fourth, fifth person that you're trying Absolutely. to bring in? So, tell me about some of the stories. Tell me about some of the things that you have. Um, that you've done for some of your poly clients? Like what are some of the basic things that you do for them? Sure. Uh, so it's, it is, it is at the same time, pretty much the same as any other financial planning client. And obviously at the same time, there are, you know, weird differences. Um, mm -hmm. Cause the key, the core of it is always the same. The core of it is who are you? What are you trying to accomplish? What are your goals? What are your resources? What's your psychology? How do we put it all together? Okay. Um, you know, usually things like retirement planning and life insurance and protection and, and, and investments and all that stuff, kids, college, all that. Um, but yeah, when you start to get more than the sort of assumed default husband and wife, you know, um, when you get outside of that, you start to run into complications and problems and actually some opportunities as well. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I'm always one of my earliest um, poly clients, and it was to me, it's still a deeply touching experience. Um, it was a you know, it was a husband and a wife, like legally married husband and wife, and then there was um, their girlfriend, 
right? Mm-hmm. The third person in this in this relationship. And their whole thing was they knew that planning for the future was important, but they also were concerned. Um, the husband and wife were very concerned about making sure that the third person didn't feel secondary, didn't feel disadvantaged. And nice. in the law, she is. Right. Right. For those first, for the husband and wife to break up, you have to get a legal system involved, right? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Yep, the third person, you're done. Uh, and so it was figuring out how do we manage their finances for the future, but also they specifically asked me, how do I intertwine them to make it as hard as possible to break up with that third person mm-hmm. so that it would be equivalent to a divorce, to, you know, as best we could. And it was about making everybody feel safe and comfortable and like, Everybody was equal, regardless of what the law said, right? right. Mimicking a three-person marriage within the bounds of, of what we can do. Um, so stuff like that, you know, uh, um, which was just really great, which might involve, a, and I won't get too far into the jargon, but it might involve, you know, cross-ownership of life insurance policies. So uh-huh. that, you know, different people have, you know, so that nobody has the right to just disinherit somebody. Um, mm-hmm. how you handle retirement accounts and beneficiaries, getting a lawyer involved to figure out how to own the house so that it was hard to make that third person homeless. Right. right. Stuff like that. Got it. Uh, what about using certain entities like LLCs, corporations, anything like that? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that something that, that polycules can use to kind of create that equality? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, actually for the house, um, you know, I brought in, a, I, I found, researched, vetted a, a lawyer, came in and we partnered up and she created, right, an entity, she created a corporate entity to own the house so that, and then the three of them had shares in that entity. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's how they got around, um, you know, the sort of unequal default arrangement because they all own the corporation. Uh or, you know, a corporation or a partnership or whatever, the, the legal entity, and that allows them to have rights and to right. not be divested. Um, so those are absolutely, those are critical in situations like that. Um, you know, you can use certain kinds of trusts can be involved in that as well. Um, and then a lot can be done with good beneficiary designations. You know, who's going to get the money? Um, you know, if you have life insurance, who's going to get the money and who owns the policy and who has the right to make these changes, like all of that geeky stuff. I like to flow chart out, but is, you know, becomes, uh, becomes really important. Um, really help people set people up. Yeah. I mean, those are the, those are the things that, um, a lot of times polycules don't really think about it, you know, or maybe they're just not aware of how they can, protect this, themselves, the, the strategies that are available, the strategies that are out there uh, to to start doing these kinds of things and really, really get themselves set up. Um, what other types of planning would people need to do? I mean, uh, when it comes to especially families, uh, something that you mentioned was, was you know, people that, that have kids and, you know, setting aside, making sure that all of the kids in these polycules are taken care of, uh, you know, a husband and wife, if they have children, those children might be protected. But what about that third person if there are other children coming in? Yeah, uh, it's it gets really complicated really fast. And I know you've had sure. uh, attorneys on the show 
Um, as you can tell, I keep mentioning lawyers because they get really, they're very, they're critical to this process. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there's, there's, there's a couple of different pieces to this. There's sort of parental or child rights and legal access and things like that. And then there's the sort of the financial piece, right? So you need to make, you know, so you have a family and you've got, you know, more than two adults, and then you have kids that may come from any sort of combination here, right? And who are the legal parents who have legal parental rights, who have access, who have information, right? Who can pick up who from, from school, right? And that's mm -hmm. where, you know, that's a lot of legal. That's work. all legal stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Your expertise is the financial stuff. Right. Um, and so for there, it starts to be like, okay, you know, what are you, you know, are you going to set up um, college planning, right? Mm -hmm. We want to do 529s. Who are the owners? Who are, who are the owners? Who are the beneficiaries? How are you planning this? There's, um, there are joint accounts for certain kinds of investment accounts can be joint accounts. They don't have to be married couples for those. Right. And so you can have people who are unrelated, quote unquote, right. Um, right. You know, being able to own and access money together. Um, you know, you can have custodial accounts for kids, like it all in a place dope. Um, and anyway, we chatted a little bit about it. I, there's something I wanted to bring up that feeds into all of this, Sure. Um, which is sort of the nature of the relationship of the, um, of a polycule that will actually do this kind of planning. Um, cause I think it's, it's, it's a distinction I've discovered. Uh, it's, you know how there's like sort of kitchen table poly, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Everybody's kind of together, you know, or at least able to hang out. Um, there's almost uh, it's not above, it's not, it's not necessarily a higher level of poly or anything like that, but it is another module attached to it or another descriptor, which is, uh, I don't know, financial planning poly. I don't know what a good word for it is, <laughs> uh, but I have discovered that, um, you know, there's a lot of um, polyamorous people and the nature of how they are poly is sort of siloed in a certain sense where like they're themselves and then they'll have a relationship with this person and maybe with this person and this person, um, but it's not a closed system, right? Mm -hmm. They might not, you know, they, they might at any point either it's just okay for them to at any point, you know, go, you know, date somebody else or all the various people involved are generally open to the idea that somebody else might get added into the mix somehow, right? And what I have found is that very often that, I mean, that keeps certain kinds of planning from happening. Because uh, like the inherent, you had a married couple, you know, a monogamous married couple, when you're doing financial planning for them, you get you, you get to, for the most part, and it's a client conversation I have, but assume that they're one unit and that right. their money is one pile. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have what are efficiencies from that, right? doesn't matter who's bringing the money in. Um, you can just use it to the best effect for the whole unit, right? Right, for, right. It gets, that does not always exist in polycules. Um, right, and, yeah, no. Yeah, and oftentimes doesn't. I've noticed that it, it, my assumption these days is that it most don't. Um, they're not going to plan like that because it's it's sort of not that kind of arrangement. So more, it's the closed polycules that tend, tend to do financial planning together because they're like, we have found our X number of people and mm -hmm. we're good. Okay, they feel that long-term stability of that arrangement and are willing to sort of combine finances. Got it. Um, you know, but if you're sort of, if it's not a closed system like that, 
you know, if you have other clients, I mean, I'm not saying they don't do financial planning, but it's much more likely that I'm just going to, you know, you might do financial planning for yourself, even if you're mm -hmm. part of a polycule, but you might not include the other people, right? And you might not pool resources because if the system is sort of a little bit more of an open web, mm -hmm. you know, how far do you, who do you include? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, uh, myself and my partner, both uh, uh, my partner, especially more than more than myself, uh, but identify as solo poly. Right. And so if we are mostly kind of just looking after ourselves and, and we don't necessarily have the um, that life partner hierarchy type of thing, uh, then it's 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 totally different. I'm, you know, thinking of for, for myself, uh, I don't, I don't know, you know, it, it's one of those things where, where you, when you start to have that kind of planning, it's because you're expecting to have this person in your life yep. forever. And if you don't have that expectation, then this kind of planning just isn't going to happen. Right. Is that basically what you're saying? So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, no, that's a great way of putting it. Right. Without that expectation of sort of that longevity of, of commitment, you know, for, you know, it, it's sort of the difference between a permanent commitment and an indefinite commitment. You know, uh, mm -hmm. I'm married, right. Me and my, me and my wife, we, you know, and I, I'm a dad. We have, a, we have my daughter who does most of my decorating. And, um, <laughs> you know, so we do our financial planning together. We have a permanent commitment. I mean, granted, like divorce exists or whatever, but our expectation is to be together forever. And an indefinite commitment, which is, again, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just noting that it's a, oftentimes people are like, we are together until we're not. And that right. psychologically means that they're less likely to plan together. And that's fine. You can do solo financial planning. Um, mm -hmm. but you miss out on some of the uh, sort of the benefits of combining incomes, you know, right. um, you know, I taught, you know, I did planning for a triad, three incomes, one house. It's not like the expenses of a three person, um, polycule are three times as much as one person. It, there's no way it, it doesn't work that way. Three people have fewer, you know, it's not three times. It's, it, it works out better for them. They have efficiency. Yeah. yeah. You, you spread know. rent between three people instead of just two. Right. You know, how much is that? 60% of the time, it works every time. <laughs> every time. <laughs> you know, so there's all that kind of stuff. That, um, anyway, I know I've been rambling about this for a while, but it's just something that I, I worry that um, it means that for a lot of poly people that I've encountered, um, obviously I've encountered those who do financial planning because they're my mm -hmm. clients, but for a lot of people that I've encountered who are poly, they not only do they not do... Um, sort of multi-person planning, but they're also like in them somewhere is this embedded, like financial planning is for when I'm married or for when I'm, you know, long-term permanent partnered or whatever. And so it even stops them from doing solo planning sometimes because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. they're like, oh, that's not a thing single people do. It's like, no, no, it is. Um, it, it's just this weird psychological dynamic that, that I think also limits how much poly people sometimes access financial services. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about that. I mean, if we are 
solo polyamorous, if we are relationship anarchists, if we are mostly just looking out for ourselves and we're not necessarily planning on combining incomes with any of our partners and doing all the financial planning because maybe it feels like we're too much on the uh on the relationship escalator if we start doing that kind of thing all right fine let's not let's not do that what are some things then that solo poly people need to be concerned about what are some things that they need to think about and start getting set up for themselves no matter what stage of life they're in Gotcha. Yeah. So in that case, it's mostly the same planning as regardless of whether you're sort of inherently polyamorous or monogamous, because um, you're planning for your future. I mean, we have the conversation and we say, hey, what are your goals? What are you worried about? And if it's, you know, the most common goals, right? Retirement, buying a house, um, if you have kids, you know, college planning, that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're, you know, sort of solo poly, it's, you know, it really just becomes this question of, are the other people in your life going to, you know, are they contributing to this plan? Are we worried about supporting them, right? One way or the other, are they mm-hmm. involved in this? And a lot of time the answer is no. Okay, then there's not a lot different, but there are there are some wrinkles, um, you know, uh, mostly in the, mostly in really the legal and the legacy issues. Um, you know, because if you're living with somebody, but you're not including in your financial planning, that's okay. You know, your rent is whatever your share of the rent is. And that's just, we just take that into account in the data. That's not a big deal, right? But if you want to make sure that they have money if you die, right, then we need to properly, you know, make sure your beneficiaries are all set. Uh, who do you want to be in the hospital with access to information, right? That's a legal thing, but there's paperwork for that. It's all of those little things, but it's not it's not terrible. I, I wish I had a cooler answer. I wish there was like some super special like solo poly thing for financial planning. But really for a solo, a solo poly person and a, just a straight up single person are going to mm-hmm. have roughly the same planning, um, except for things like legacy and beneficiaries and things like that. Um, yeah, I guess that was what I kind of wanted to get to, though. Like, what is some of the basic planning? You said uh, understanding what the goals are and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, for me, I mean, I, I think back to um, one of the books that I read when I was when I was a young adult. Right. Um, the richest man in Babylon. And I'm like 10 percent, 10 percent, 10 percent, 10 percent. Right. Always put put aside my 10 percent. Took me till I was 36 to actually take my own advice but you know <laughs> yeah what what are some of those those early tips some of the things that oh, sure. that anybody kind of just needs to start doing to get to get started and make sure that they're financially set gotcha uh yeah so in that case uh you know and again everybody's different everybody's specific situation you know talk to a planner about your specific situation but some, some general principles of of financial planning and, and i mean it's so the first, the first big thing that I always I, I try to tell there's almost there's almost no absolutes in financial planning. There, mm-hmm. there are some you know generally accepted good ideas, but there's there's very few true absolutes because life is messy and weird and people are complicated. Hmm. Um, but some good things to think about. Uh, one, creating an emergency fund is fantastic, right? That's putting up some you know getting some savings into a bank account and doing nothing fancy with it. It's just sitting there in case something bad happens, you lose your job. Um, How much of an emergency fund should we have? Um, Generally. Generally about three to six months worth of expenses. Um, 
if you're uh, if you're by yourself six months, um, typically, if you have like a you know if it's two people living together, like if it was a married couple or or a partnered couple, um, you might be, be able to do less depending on their incomes. But solo six months or so um, get you through that period, which is also usually enough to deal with other kinds of emergencies like uh, your roof having a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know that um, you know taking advantage of you know incentive offers and account offers that may be available through employment, you know, workplace retirement accounts. Again, I can't say always do it because first of all, compliance would have a problem with that. But, <laughs> um, you know, certainly investigate it. Um, but yeah, the big thing: understand your goals, understand what you're worried about. You know, and and that's really what needs to guide you for the most part. People are sort of, you know, I'm worried about retirement. Okay, good. Then think about, you know, putting money away. And then retirement's a long time, you know, if retirement's years and years and years away. Remember and understand that there's really only two, two assets, money and time when it comes to this sort of stuff. And of the two, time is actually the most valuable. Um, for sure. You know, so, you know, the earlier, the better you know, for, for as long as possible. Um, and money aside from that, you know, again, after the emergency fund, after that money sitting in a bank account is losing value because of inflation every year. So if it's not growing, you're losing the ability to buy things with it. Mm -hmm. um, and so you want to get it moving, you want to get it earning it, but it, it really is going to come down to habits, discipline, and goals. Um, auto invest. I love anything or auto savings. I love anything where once a month money vanishes from your bank account, regardless of what you do, you don't have to remember to do it. You've set up some method of pulling that money out and investing it somewhere or, or saving it in some way so that it's automatic. Those things build incredibly good habits uh, and it's easier to modify a habit than to create one, right? Um, so in my experience, for example, so if you're listening to this and you don't save on a regular basis, set up a thing that's just like 50 bucks a month goes into an account. If you can, and I understand that not everybody can, but if you can, 50 bucks a month goes into a separate savings account. Just do that today. Uh, because I it's harder to get me, it's harder for me to get you to do that than it is for me to get you to go from 50 to 200 in the future. Mm. Creating the habit is hard. Modifying it later, again, assuming you have the means, much, much easier. So it's all about setting up those good habits. Oh, yeah. What are what are some other good financial habits, uh, whether we are solo poly or part of a polycule uh, that we can set up to what are, what are some other, just some other good financial habits? What are some things that we need to be thinking about? Because, I mean, I read all the books and listen to all the things and I'm, you know, in business myself. So, you know, I, I got like my own ideas, right. but uh, from a, you know financial planner, all disclaimers, this is not financial right. advice. Um, yeah. What are some good financial habits that we need to be thinking about? Yeah. And again, right. And I have to, I do have to keep it a little vague. Um, but uh, one of the best ones um, is, so in, when it comes to long-term stuff, again, you know, mm -hmm. retirement is sort of the default thing, but it's not, it's not the only thing, but the, uh, it's the common thing. Uh, remember that if you're if you're if you're talking about something that is long term, you need to not fall prey to the passion of the moment. Uh, last year, at the beginning of last year, the market tanked horribly. Right. And I was 
on um, a fair number of phone calls and emails with clients who, um, yeah, they, they were like, they could be 45 and they're talking about their retirement accounts. They're not going to retire for decades. They're mm -hmm. not going to touch that money, right? But they were freaking out and wanting to move their money and do all sorts of said, No, stop. What are you doing? I was taught, you know, I spent a lot of time talking them off that edge because they wanted to react in the right. moment. And I'm like, you're going to ruin your strategy. You're going to, you know, destroy a lot or a chunk of your profitability. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. You know, I, it, I guess the habit in this case, right. It's like for long-term things, you have to have create a strategy and stick to it and then review it when you're not like worked up. Right. Mm -hmm. Going into panic isn't going to help you. Um, you know, and review it with yourself, review it with somebody, right. You know, that's what I do for a living. Right. So review it with uh, an advisor, but it's, it's something that you've got to understand. Play the long game means don't freak out in the short term. Right. Um, that's one big one. Uh, I'm trying to think of other good sort of good habits. Um, right. So philosophies, reading, whatever. Yeah. I'm a right tool, right job, right tool for the right job is mm. my big thing. Um, so if you go into a meeting uh, with, with somebody like me or you're reading about different options or whatever, don't walk into them with a never use this or always use that attitude. Uh, I have, it will hurt you. It will absolutely hurt you. There are very few things in the world that you should never do in finance or always do. And I, I know I've said like 14 times, but mm -hmm. um, people walk into a meeting and their mind is closed to a particular option. And I've had this conversation with clients where I said, this is the best thing for you. And they said, my, my dad told me never to do that. I'm like, mm. okay. And your dad is probably really smart, but does he do this for a living? Only a Sith right. deals in absolutes. Right. <laughs> 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 Uh -oh. My screen goes crazy there. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's it's that kind of thing. It's um, now. Oh, um, get all the questions you need answered to feel comfortable, and then make a decision. Mm. Uh, your enemies are going to be inertia and um, and paralysis. So, um, financial planning in general is something you can always do next week, right? It's. I mean, here I am talking about multi-decade issues it's like right. yeah, I can get to it next week and get to it next week you can next week yourself all for 40 years mm -hmm. and never get around to it um you can overanalyze and go crazy uh i've i've every now and then a cl uh, prospective client will will say to me um well i just want tell me all my options i'm like neither of us has that kind of time all of your <laughs> right? like okay, I need you to pay me a lot of money because we're going to be sitting and having this conversation for 19 years. It's going to take a long, all year. I filter, my job is filtering what the options to the ones that are relevant to you. Right. But that means that you can always find more things to think about, more analysis, more questions, more, more, more. And really that's a very fancy way of paralyzing yourself. Yep. Um, you know, don't do things that make you uncomfortable. Don't do things you don't understand or, you're, or you don't like or whatever, but you got to learn to find uh, at some point to pull the trigger on your own life and right. let yourself go forward. Right. Mm -hmm. Or else like, you know, you never get yeah. done. I mean, the only way, the, the best way to learn is to act. Right. I mean, if you consider failure experience, <laughs> yeah. failure is experience. You get in there, you do it. 
maybe you win, maybe you lose, but you you gain the experience and you you, you figure it out from there. All right, Mike, uh, I want to ask you a couple of final questions here. First of all, uh, is there anything that I missed? Is there anything that you wish that I had asked? Anything that you have uh, written down somewhere that you really wanted to make sure to touch on? Um, or see. just final thoughts? Or just final thoughts? Uh, I guess the only I did have a, a, a just a thought on living um, non-monogamously, right? Um, which not really financial planning thing, just a being poly thing. Um, you know, one something I've noticed. Uh, I have many polyamorous friends, you know, clients, etc. Uh, as a community in general, I've noticed we get really hung up on semantics. Mm-hmm. really hung up on semantics and labels. And I understand why we're sort of trying to define ourselves. And, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, but I, um, one thing that I worry about as a community and that, and our sort of long-term health is that we actually can get really judgmental against each other because of semantic problems. Um, and so this is my, you know, forget, forget my profession for a second. This is my human being, um, earnest, like naive beseeching of the universe that, like we need to sure labels are important you know and words and semantics and definitions but we when we're dealing we're talking to each other and we're trying to understand what's going on we're trying to learn from each other understand what a person means by the words they say sometimes mm-hmm. don't get too caught up on the words because a lot of the words that we use in in polyamory don't have don't actually have set agreed definitions right um, you know I have different friends. I have friends all around the country. When they say poly, they mean five to six different things. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so anyway, that was just sort of a that's a thing that I worry about, and I see that um, we turn on each other sometimes because of of those kinds of misunderstandings. That's not even mm-hmm. like I object to your idea. It's that I misunderstand your idea, and now we're fighting. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually I did uh, a little episode on that myself uh, a couple of weeks ago um, because I, I kind of noticed the same thing. People get into the communities, they get into the Facebook groups, they ask a question and they use the wrong word or they describe it a, you know the wrong way. And instead of getting the advice that they need, they get people jumping down their throats for describing something you know incorrectly and. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can agree with you on that. We, we, we can definitely do better uh, as a community in that sense. We still want to make sure to, you know, protect vulnerable people from predators, you know, and, and abusers that. because that kind of stuff is, is still out there. Uh, but by the same token, you know, always, always do better, right? When right. we know better, we can do better. And that I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with you on that. Uh, Mike, the last thing I want to ask you, uh, if somebody wanted to work with you, if somebody actually wanted to get uh, financial advice from you, how can they get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to go about doing that? Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, the, probably the best way is, um, so my email address, so champion-strategies.com is my website. And then my email address is just Mike at champion-strategies.com. That's almost always the best way to reach me. Um, I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, so those are good ways to, uh, the website will actually be cool and pretty in a couple of weeks. <laughs> it's, it's sort of eh, right now, but it's, it's literally updating as we speak. Um, and so, but email, it's probably going to be your best bet. Um, but any of those methods will work. Perfect. And, uh, for licensing reasons, uh, region, location, 
Sure. Uh, so I run actually a, a fully virtual practice. Um, so I don't meet with anybody in person at this point. Um, it's all done through Zoom calls. Uh, I'm licensed in something like 19 states. So uh, this is a solid chance and covering the majority of the country's population. So there's a really good chance that if somebody wants to work with me, I'm already licensed where they are. And uh, depending on the on the nature of the issue they have, getting licensed in a new state for me is not actually a big deal. So um, cool. Help them out. Um, but I cannot solicit in a state I'm not licensed in. So I have to be sort of makes sense. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Well, Mike, thank you so very much for uh, spending some time with me today, uh, bringing us some value and giving us some good tips on how to make sure that we're set up for the future for ourselves, for our polycules, for our chosen families. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Awesome. And thank you, as always, to our live audience for tuning in. As a reminder, when we're live, you get no commercial interruptions, but the same can't be said for the podcast download. So if you want to avoid commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday or sign up for Patreon, where you get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube and wherever it is that you download your podcast. If you haven't already, please leave us a review. We'll really, really appreciate it. All right, everybody, that is all we've got for this week. So until next week, have a great week and have have a nice day. Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash practicingpolya.